Well, that was good. Hey, why don't we thank the band? You say, well, I'm in my living room. Well, thank him in your living room. You say, I'm on the chat. Well, if you're on the chat, give him a hand clap. That was amazing. You know, that song has become a Southside anthem. And I think it started a number of weeks ago when I told you the story of Winston Churchill and how he made a declaration during World War II. And that declaration was a symbol. And that symbol was a V. And that V stood for victory. You know, the first time that Churchill made that declaration was in July of 1941, which actually is incredible. The reason why that's so incredible, to explain it, I'm going to have to take you back just a little bit to September of 1939. In September of 1939, Nazi Germany, led by Adolf Hitler, invaded Poland, and World War II started. And the world knew that Hitler had two main objectives after he seized control of Germany. His first objective was to eliminate the Jewish race. And over the next six years, in what we now refer to as the Holocaust, six million men and women and boys and girls were murdered for no other reason than than that they were Jewish. Hitler's second objective was to get living space, or Lebensraum, for the German people. His plan was to go east through Poland into the Ukraine and then to go west towards France. And so Western Europe waited after September of 1939 for the other shoe to drop. But Hitler never invaded. From October of 1939 till May of 1940, as far as Western Europe was concerned, nothing happened. Historians now refer to this as the phony war or Sitzkrieg. Little school children who were sent away from London into the countryside to, to, uh, to protect them from the battle were actually brought back into London. And then in May of 1940, the other shoe dropped. Hitler unleashed, unleashed Blitzkrieg on Western Europe. High-speed infantry supported by tanks and aircraft that would punch a hole in the enemy's defenses and then roll them up. And he rolled through the Netherlands and he rolled through Belgium and then he rolled into France. And by June of 1940, Incredibly, all of Europe was either allied with Hitler or occupied by Hitler. Except there was this one little island, 35 kilometers from the coast of France, was the White Cliffs of Dover, and Great Britain stood alone. At that time, Churchill said this, Hitler knows that he must break us on this island or he will lose the war. And so Hitler set about trying to do just that, to break them on that island. He started out with a naval blockade, tried to starve them into submission. It was very effective, but not enough to get them to submit. One of the major reasons, by the way, was brave Canadian sailors who took the Atlantic sea route from the Maritimes to supply England with everything that they needed. After failing in his sea blockade, Hitler turned his attention to the air. He went from the Navy into the Air Force and unleashed on the industrial cities of Britain what is now referred to as the Blitz. Night after night, week after week, month after month, the Luftwaffe, the German Air Force, would come in and bomb British industrial cities. Manchester, Birmingham, Liverpool, and London, over And over and over again, London. 57 nights in a row, London. 75 out of 76 nights, London. By the end of World War II, 74,000 tons of bombs had been dropped by the Germans on British cities. 
So you need to understand that in July of 1941, when Winston Churchill made this declaration, he made this declaration in a city, London, that was rubble. And it would have been easy at that time for people to look and say, what do you mean victory? What are you talking about? Can't, can't you look around you? Can't you see you're standing in rubble? And see what Churchill knew, and I think what we're all figuring out at this time in our nations and our world's history is that uh, victory doesn't always mean sunshiny circumstances. In fact, the deepest victory is a soul-level victory, a victory that's won from the inside out. Churchill described victory this way. He said, I have nothing to offer but blood, toil, tears, and sweat. We have before us a, an ordeal of the most grievous kind. We have before us many, many long months of struggle and of suffering. You ask, what is our policy? I can say it is to wage war by sea, land, and air with all our might and with all our strength that God can give us. To wage war against a monstrous tyranny never surpassed in the dark, lamentable catalog of human crime. This is our policy. You ask, what is our aim? I can answer in one word. It is victory. Victory at all costs. Victory in spite of all terror. Victory however long and hard the road may be, for without victory, there is no survival. So Churchill stood and declared victory amongst the rubble and the air raid sirens and the flames and the chaos. Victory, a soul-level victory that is won from the inside out. He went on to say this, so let us brace ourselves to our duties and bear ourselves in such a way that if the British Empire and Commonwealth were to last for a thousand years, that men would still look back and say this was its finest hour. See, I, I say that to you because we're facing an airborne threat of our own in the world today, aren't we? It's not an air force, it's a virus. And it's changed the world as we know it. And what I want to suggest to you is this, that you were born for this. That you were placed on this planet for this moment, for this time. And I understand that it's not easy, but my declaration to you today is victory. How did Churchill put it? Victory at all costs. Victory in spite of all terror. Victory however long and hard the road may be. Victory, it's a soul level victory. It doesn't always come with sunshiny circumstances. Sometimes the deepest victory is the victory in adversity. A soul-level victory that's won from the inside out. See, here's what I know about you, and, and the same is true of me. We're telling a story with our lives. And one day, we're going to look back at these days, at these weeks, at these months, and we're going to ask ourselves, what kind of story do I have to tell about this time, uh, this adversity, of this challenge? Well, I really believe that your story, if I had to summarize it in one word, your story would be this. Your story would be victory. A soul-level victory that's actually won from the inside out. Not sunshiny circumstances, but a powerful victory in spite of adversity. In fact, I would go so far as to say this. This is your finest hour. 
You are born for this. You are placed here for this purpose. This is your finest hour. You know what? Because the world is in desperate need of hope. The world is in desperate need of strength. The world is in desperate need of peace. The, the world is in desperate need of victory. And my prayer for you and my faith for you is you're going to see victory. And you're going to bring victory to others. And on that note, I want to say to you, happy Easter. Happy Easter. It's been amazing over, over these last few weeks to watch what God has been doing. What's up from the East Coast of Montreal? Bonjour from Lille, France. Hi from Chilliwack. Hi from Queensland, Australia. Hi from Stalus Community School. Hi from San Jose, California. Hello from Ottawa, Ontario. Going to Southside Online for me has been an amazing experience. Being able to get away from the craziness of the media and just being able to be with people from all around the world in one zone, just enjoying church. I love that um, God can empower us to continue to build his community. Being able to see everyone in that chat box from all those different countries is uh, really great. Uh, I think we can meet our creator through so many different platforms. So uh, thank you Southside Online and love you guys. This has fueled me, um, helped me stay confident and helped me um, find where I'm at in with my faith. I love church online because it gives me a sense of of home even though I am very far away from home right now. Helping grow my faith in God helps me maintain my relationship with Him and it also gives me a, a community while I worship with God on Sundays. Thank you so much for your kindness and for supporting our families. As a busy mum of two very active boys, I love online church because I can praise and worship my God and hear his word in my own living room or kitchen any day of the week. Wherever you are, wherever you're from, wherever you're at, wherever you're from, welcome to Southside Online. 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 Online. Whatever you're going through, and wherever you may be isolated, we're all in this together. We're all in this together. We're in this together. We're in this together. We're in this together. Don't forget, we're in this together. So now that I think about it after watching that video, when I say, welcome to Southside Church Online, I guess what I really mean is thanks for having us over. Thanks, thanks for welcoming us into your place, wherever that place may be. And I want to say, whether, whether Southside Church services, whether live or online, are something that you have been doing for years, that you haven't missed a service for years, or whether this is your first time, man, I'm so honored that you would join us today. I want to tell you, by the way, if Southside Church physical meeting and, and, and online gatherings. Man, if you've been, if this is your church, if this is your mission, if this is your movement, I want to tell you something sincerely. Man, I, I love 
I love playing on your team. I love being on your team. I love playing a win with you. I love praying with you. I love serving with you. I love digging deep with you. I love bringing victory with you. And you know what else? I, I love giving with you too. It's been amazing to watch the generosity of, of this group of people who call themselves Southsiders. It's actually incredible. It's this realization that comes with when we, when we see that the world needs more help, more hope, and more connection than any of us can really remember. And I want to suggest to you that it's also because of this upside-down reality of the open-handed life that some of us have realized that when we, when we step out in generosity and we give so that other people can be helped, we find that we ourselves are helped in the process. That when we step out in generosity and, 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 and we give so that other people can find hope, you know what we find? We find hope. And when we step out in generosity and, and we give so that other people can find connection, the next thing you know, you know what we find? We find connection. It's amazing. Man, I, I love being on your team. I love playing a win with you. And if this is your first time ever being a part of a Southside service, what an honor. Man, I'm so glad you joined us. I would just ask you to do one favor for me. If you could just text the word hello to 604-670-3040. Hello to 604-670-3040. And if you're out of the country and you can't text that number, you can go on to southsidelife.com. And there's a message box at the bottom called hashtag Southside Together. You can just text that keyword, hello. We're going to send you a $10 Starbucks card. We just want to get to know you a little bit, make some connections. And by the way, if you're in a part of the world where there is no Starbucks, let us know. We'll find some way to make it worth your while to text in hello. Happy Easter. So we're talking about victory. I guess here's what I want to suggest to you this Easter. I want to say this, that history's finest hour happened when your victory was won by Jesus Christ at Easter. See, the truth is, to really understand the significance and the power of Easter, we need to understand the significance and the power of Jesus. I want you to think about this for a second. Here we are in April 2020, A.D. 2020 A.D. What does A.D. stand for? Well, it's a Latin term, Anno Domini, in the year of our Lord. You want to hear something incredible? That history is actually divided at the arrival of Jesus Christ into the world. That before Jesus came, we refer to those years as BC, before Christ. And after Jesus came, we, we say AD, Anno Domini, in the year of our Lord. History is divided upon his arrival. That's incredible. And this weekend, billions of people, billions of people around the world will be celebrating Jesus at Easter. Well, what kind of people are these billions of people? All kinds of people. Young people and old people, rich people and poor people, married people and single people, people from all walks of life, scientists and salespeople, healthcare workers and horticulturalists. I don't know why I said horticulturalists, but it could happen. Home, homemakers and people in the hospitality industry, people in all walks of life, billions of them are coming together to celebrate Jesus on this Easter weekend. And the question that I would want to ask is very simple. The question is, why? Why? Maybe it's his birth, you know? Something amazing about the birth of Jesus, that there were 
shepherds in their fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night near Bethlehem. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said, don't be afraid. I bring you tidings of great joy that will be for all people. Tonight in the town of David, a Savior has been born who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign to you. You'll find that baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. What a story. Mary and Joseph, no room at the inn, away in a manger, and a not-so-silent night. Glory to God in the highest, and peace on earth. What a story, but here's the truth. The most significant victory that Jesus won wasn't won through his birth. But it's pointed to in his birth, if you look carefully. See, historians will tell you that in the first century, when Jewish people took long trips, such as the trip that Mary and Joseph took from Nazareth to Bethlehem, about 140 kilometers would have taken them about five days with Mary riding on a donkey and Joseph walking along beside her. When a Jewish person in the first century would take a long trip like that, they would always pack cloths with them. And the reason was is because traveling back then was dangerous. And if someone died along the way, they wanted to have those cloths with them because um, they would immediately want to wrap the body because of customary reasons and because of best practices, they would want to wrap that body. So I want you to think about that story. Mary and Joseph arrive in Bethlehem. Mary goes into labor. Joseph's looking for a place to stay, but there's no room at any inn until finally he convinces one innkeeper to let them use a stable. They go there and little baby Jesus is born. And of course, Joseph wants to wrap that little baby up and he uses the only cloth that he has with him, burial cloths. So we see right from the moment that Jesus was born, he was actually born to die. I guess what I'm trying to tell you is that we would not be celebrating Christmas 2,000 years later if it wasn't for Easter. See, it's true that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, did step into human history. He was born in a stable in a little town called Bethlehem, but then he grew up. And at the age of 30, he gathered around him 12 disciples, and he traveled around with them, and he spoke to groups as small as just a couple, as large as thousands and thousands and thousands of people. And he taught about the grace and the love and the mercy and the plan of God. He healed people. He set people free from religion and rule-keeping, from this notion that God's love is performance-based. But over time, there was a group of religious Jews called the Pharisees. And Jesus' message threatened their way of life. It threatened their power. So they orchestrated events and turned the tide of public opinion against him. And so when Jesus was 33 years old, at about midnight on the first Good Friday, he was arrested. And here's what's crazy. The events that happen next really are history's finest hour. See, there was a victory that was won at that first Easter for you, by Jesus. And that's the story that I want to tell you this Easter weekend. Three reasons why history's finest hour was a victory won for you by Jesus at Easter. Number one, because by his stripes, we are healed. By his stripes, we are healed. Between the hour of midnight and about 9 a.m. on that first Good Friday, Jesus went through six trials. Three of them were Jewish trials and three were Roman. And the 
last of those six trials was officiated by the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate. At the end of the trial, Pilate knew that Jesus was innocent, but he had a bloodthirsty mob chanting, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And so what Pilate did was an attempt to appease the mob and yet maybe give Jesus a chance at survival. He ordered that he would be flogged. It's amazing when you look back through history, the entire history of the Roman Empire, you'll never find anybody who was flogged and crucified. But that's what happened to Jesus. Because the flogging didn't appease the crowd. So after he was flogged, he was crucified. See, the reason why you're never going to find in history anyone who was flogged and crucified, well, let me level with you. Let me tell you the truth. When I first began preparing this sermon, I thought we were going to be meeting all together in a physical location. So I thought the adults were going to be in one room and the kids were going to be way off in another room. And so what I was going to do is I was going to read you a historical description of flogging. I can't do that. On the off chance that your kids are around, I can't do it. It's a deeply disturbing description, even for adults. So can I just leave it at this? People didn't often survive a Roman flogging. or the shock, or the blood loss, or the infection that would come later. And Roman authorities believed that if someone was somehow able to survive all of that, they had been punished enough. And here's what I want you to know today, on this Easter weekend. Flogging didn't happen to Jesus. Jesus chose the flogging. Let me say that again because I really want to make sure you heard it. Flogging didn't happen to Jesus. Jesus chose it. Hundreds of years before Jesus was even born, the prophet Isaiah wrote this. He was beaten so that we could be whole. He was whipped so that we could be healed. The New King James Version says it this way. By his stripes, we are healed. See, there's a brokenness inside of me and there's a brokenness inside of you too. And we need to be healed. To explain that brokenness, I'll tell you a story. In the, in the days and the weeks before our oldest child, our daughter Tori, was born, I got to tell you, I was so excited, but I was nervous and a little bit confused too. And one of my big confusions was this. I was wondering what was going to happen if our baby was born. We didn't know whether it was going to be a boy or a girl. We didn't find out. And, and I wondered, what would happen if our baby was born and I just simply didn't love it? Because I, I had seen some people who had babies and they showed me the picture, they showed me their baby and they just said, oh, I love my baby. But I asked myself, well, what happens if I don't automatically love this kid? You say, well, love is a choice, Mike. Yeah, yeah, I, I get it. But, but, but I was wondering, like, how long do I have to choose to love this baby until I actually, like, you know, love the kid? And related to that question, I always wondered another thing. What if I don't find my baby beautiful? Because every time I saw someone hand around a baby picture, everybody would say, oh, the baby is so beautiful. But, 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 but not really, if you really think about it. Kind of strange looking babies are. So I thought to myself, like, what if this baby is born? And I don't innately love the kid. And, and I actually don't, frankly, find the baby beautiful. So do I just have to fake it till I make it? Look, this is my baby. I love her. She's beautiful. And then Corinne went into labor, and I went into 
the delivery room, and Tori was born. And the doctor held her up and said, it's a girl. And I had never seen such a beautiful girl in my whole life. And I fell in love. Like so much so that my knees were weak, like I almost fell over, that kind of love. And immediately, immediately, listen to this, immediately I felt fiercely protective of that little baby. The next day I drove Corinne and Tori home from the hospital and partway home Corinne looked at me and she said, who are you and what have you done with my husband? See, up until that day I was a bit of a, I don't know, a crazy driver. But that day I became the slowest, most careful driver on the road. And I just wanted to protect that little baby. Not to mention my wife who, uh, I always loved Corinne, but the last two days it proved to me for sure she was a superhero. I don't want to play false tough guy here, but I'll tell you this, after Tori was born, if someone would have posed any kind of threat to her, I was pretty convinced that I would do whatever was necessary to protect her. I still feel that way about my six kids and about Tori's son, my grandson, Noah. When there was just five of us, it's kind of a funny thing to say, just, when there was just five of us, we were living in a row house in downtown. Three bedrooms all upstairs. Tori had a room and Lucas had a room and little baby Emma was sleeping with, uh, in, in Corinne and I's room with us. And one night at about two o'clock in the morning, everybody was sound asleep except for me. I, I couldn't sleep. I found it too hot, so I went downstairs. And uh, as I was downstairs, someone popped the screen out of our kitchen window and started climbing into our house. And I knew that my three babies were upstairs. So immediately, without thinking, I ran at that window with great enthusiasm. And I already kind of had a speech planned. It was going to go something like this. My name is Mike Manis. I'm an evangelist. We can pray right now, and you can accept Jesus Christ into your life. Because one way or the other, you are about to meet him. What I'm trying to say is, I had this fierce, protective instinct for my kids, because I just love them so much. Well, here's something that you need to know. God is your heavenly father. You say, well, I don't believe in God. He believes in you. He's your father. And he really, really loves you. Kind of like a good earthly father would love you, multiplied by infinity. (laughs) And God feels really protective of his kids. So much so that he built inside of you and he built inside of me this uh, th- this proclivity or the way that it should be, this, this rightness and the, the rightness of the way that we t- would treat one another, that we would be kind to one another, that we would bless one another, that we would love one another, that we would protect one another, that we, w- that, that we would be patient with one another. But free will happened. And somewhere along the line, something was broken. I don't have to convince you of that. You can remember that moment. There was someone in your life Maybe some ones would be a better way to put it. There, there were people in your life, they, they should have loved you, they should have protected you, they should have been there for you, but instead they said something to you that they never should have said. They did something that they never should have done. And here's what's amazing about it. It might have been physical and there might have been physical hurt, but the soul scars are the most serious because it's not the way that it was supposed to be. That's not the way that God made us. So there's something broken inside of you. 
You know what they say about broken people? Broken people break people. So then you moved on in your life, and somewhere along the line, you said something to someone that you never should have said. You did something that you never should have done. Or maybe there was something that you should have said or you should have done, but you didn't do it, and your omission hurt somebody else. So I want you to think about this for a second. And now you're walking through life, and you got this brokenness inside of you because of things that have been done to you, but added on to that, you have the weight of guilt and shame that you're carrying through your life. And that's not the way that it was meant to be. So I'm going to tell you again what I told you once. Flogging didn't happen to Jesus. He chose it. Because by his stripes, we are healed. And there's a whole new paradigm that can be established in your family. There's a whole new system that can be established in your relationships. Instead of broken people, breaking people, healed people, heal people. Love people, love people. History's finest hour happened when your victory was won by Jesus Christ at Easter. Number one, because by his stripes we are healed. Number two, because by his death we live. By his death we live. It all started on a tree. It all started on a tree. The God who spoke the universe into existence created Adam and Eve, the first man and the first woman. He created them in his image and he breathed the breath of life into them. One of the Hebrew names for God is El Shaddai. El Shaddai, the provider, the sustainer, the source of life, El Shaddai. He was their provider. He was their sustainer. He was their source of life. And he placed them in the Garden of Eden and he said, live. Live. You can eat from any tree in this entire garden. And the picture you get is dozens and dozens of trees. But don't eat from this one tree. Of course, because God wanted a relationship with people, he also gave them free will. And they chose to eat from the one tree that God said not to eat from. And when they did that, they walked away from God's will. They walked away from El Shaddai, the provider, the source, the sustainer of life. And now there was a gap. There was a gap between God and his people. And that gap is sin. And that gap is death. And Adam and Eve passed that sin condition on through the generations. There's a gap. Well, I don't have to convince you. You felt it. Pascal once said that there's a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every person. There's an emptiness in there. There's a gap. And it's amazing because we go through our lives and we, we wonder, why, why can't I get enough pleasure, enough possessions, enough popularity, enough trophies, enough success, enough, 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 enough to fill this emptiness inside of me? Because there's a gap. It all started on a tree in the Garden of Eden. And what's incredible is that it ended on a tree, on a hill called Calvary. Jesus, after he was flogged, was nailed to a Roman cross where he suffered and died. And here's the thing. The cross didn't happen to Jesus. He chose the cross. Because he saw the gap between you and God. And that gap is sin and that gap is death. And so he died your death and he closed your gap so you can live. 2 Corinthians 5.21 puts it this way, Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, became sin so that you could become the righteousness of God. 
He saw the gap, and that gap is sin, and that gap is death. So he died your death to close your gap so you could live. It brings to mind a story. In the years following World War I, there was a humanitarian crisis in Europe. Thousands and thousands and thousands of orphans whose parents either died in the war or in the pandemic known as the Spanish flu. So money poured in from North America to establish a network of orphanages throughout Europe. Sometimes there was up to 1,300 little boys and little girls in one orphanage. And what I'm about to tell you is a true story. So just weeks after the war ended, in one of those orphanages in northern France, a man walked in. Now this man was rail thin, skin and bones, clearly broken down. He struggled in and holding his hand was a little girl. He walked up to the administrator of the orphanage and he said, I'd like you to take in and take care of my little girl. And the administrator said, oh, wait a minute, did you say your little girl? Is this your daughter? He said, yes, she is. He said, well, we can't take in a child who has a parent alive. He said, yeah, but my wife died a year and a half ago. And I spent the last two years of the war in a prison camp. And I'm so beat down and I'm so broken that I can't work. If she stays with me, she's going to die. If I give her to you, she could live. The administrator said, I'm sorry, sir. There's nothing that we can do. The policy is the policy. He thought the meeting was over. He, he straightened the papers on his desk and he cleared his throat. But the man and his daughter didn't move. The only sound in that little office was the ticking of a clock. Until this rail thin man spoke up and he said, so you're telling me that if I died, that you would take in my daughter that you would take care of her, that you would give her food and clothes and a chance at life. The administrator said, well, I suppose so, but... No, so what you're telling me is if I died, my daughter would have a chance at life. Well, I suppose... And he stood up. And he hugged his daughter for a long time. And then he kissed her on the head. He took her hand and he placed her hand in the hand of the administrator. And as he walked... Out of the door, he spoke his last words. I'll arrange it. See, here's what you need to understand. The cross didn't happen to Jesus. Jesus chose it. He looked down at human history, and he saw you, and he saw me, and he saw the gap between us and God, and that gap is sin, and that gap is death. And he knew that the only way to close that gap would be to die our death so we could live. And he stepped out of heaven and into human history, and he said this, I'll arrange it. History's finest hour happened when your victory was won by Jesus Christ at Easter. Why? Because by his stripes, we are healed. Because by his death, we live. And finally, by his resurrection, we rise. The biggest bully in all of human history is death undefeated bully of human history. From the very beginning of time, generations after generations after generations have cowered away from this bully called death. I told you last week that I got bullied a lot when I was a little kid. 
especially on the school bus. <laughs> Man, I started grade one when I was five years old, and I would ride the school bus every day to school in the morning, back from school in the afternoon. And there was a group of older kids on that school bus that decided they just didn't like me. <laughs> and so they, they would spit on me, and they would slap me, and they would punch me, and they would call me names. And I hated that bus so much, but I had to ride it. So every once in a while, I would have these daydreams about what would happen if my big brother got on that bus. So here's the thing, I didn't actually have a big brother, it was just my little sister and I, but my daydreams, in my daydreams, I had a big brother. And one day he would get on that bus and he would say to those kids that had been picking on me, man, you, you messed with my little brother? Well, now I'm gonna mess with you. See, there's something that you need to know on this Easter weekend. You have a big brother and his name is Jesus. See, God is your heavenly father, and Jesus is God's son. And when Jesus died, he, he died to close the gap so that you could be adopted into God's family. Jesus is your big brother, and that's a really, really good thing. When, when my son Gabe was still in high school, I helped coach his basketball team. And I remember this one particular moment from this one particular game. Okay, here's the thing. I don't actually even remember what game it was. I just remember the moment. It must have been a pretty important game, though, because there was lots of people in the stands. And, and Gabe must have been playing real well because everybody was cheering. And I just remember this one moment. <clears throat> Gabe made a play. Don't even remember the play. But I looked up, and everyone in the stands was cheering. But there was this one dude. He was cheering way louder than everybody else. In fact, this guy had taken his T-shirt off, and he went bareback, and he was waving his t-shirt over his head. You know who that one guy was? That was Gabe's big brother, Lucas. Your big brother, Jesus, he's cheering for you like that. Like that? Yeah, like that. You say, well, I don't know, Mike. Like, I've kind of given up on God. He's never given up on you. Well, I've kind of given up on me. He hasn't. He's cheering you on. Years ago, I was standing in church while Southside Music was doing their usual incredible job. And I was singing along, and, and God gave me a picture, and I felt like I was supposed to share it with you today. I, I, I was there singing, but next thing you know, in my mind, I felt like I was on the stage preaching. See, that's what I do. I'm a preacher. But, but, but whatever context you're in, whether you're a businessman or a homemaker or a scientist or a doctor, whatever you do, this applies to you. But I'm standing on the stage and I'm preaching. And guess who showed up for church that day? Jesus came. And he was sitting right there in, in, in the church. And man, he, he delighted in me. I could just tell. Like every joke I told, man, he was laughing so hard. And what's crazy about it is I knew he wasn't laughing necessarily because he had never heard that joke before because that joke was so funny. He was laughing because he was delighted in the micness of the joke. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I, I wish I could talk to you today and I wish I could tell you. He, he delights in your joshness. He delights in your eminence. He, he delights in your daveness. He, he delights in your corinness. Like, he, he delights in you. You say, well, I don't know, Mike. I'm a mess. Yeah, you're his mess. And here's the thing. When he looks at you, he doesn't look at you, uh, he doesn't look at your past, he looks at your potential. When he looks at you, he doesn't look at your failures, he looks at your future. And he delights in you. 
So anyways, I'm standing there singing, and, and I felt like I was on the stage preaching, but then I'm back, and I'm singing again, except this time there's somebody standing beside me, and he's got his arm around me, and this dude's big. Like, I mean, big, big. Like, I'm 6'3", 205, but the guy beside me, it's, like, it's almost like I'm five years old again, and, and this is my dad standing beside me. That's the size. And I knew right away who it was. It was Jesus. And he has arm around me, kind of like, I love you, and I'm with you. Don't worry, I got you. See, I want you to know today that Jesus is with you and Jesus is for you. See, David said it this way in Psalm 23. Even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you don't have to fear any evil. He goes behind you, beside you, and before you every single step of the way. He's your big brother. Man, he, he, he's cheering you on. He delights in you. He's for you. You see, Jesus died on that Roman cross and they took his body down and they placed it in a borrowed tomb. And he stayed there until the third day, till Easter Sunday. And then he, <clears throat> he ripped the door off of the hinges of that borrowed tomb. He threw it aside and he stepped out. And down goes death. Down goes death. Down goes death. The greatest bully in human history was finally defeated by Jesus. And I love the way that 1 Corinthians 15 says it. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Down goes death. John 3.16 says it this way, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Life. It starts now and it stretches into eternity. He's for you. And for you, because of Jesus, because of his victory, man, even, even death isn't a termination, it's a transition into an eternity beyond your imagination. So I guess what I want to suggest to you is this. Easter? Easter is history's finest hour. Because at Easter, your victory was won fully and completely and finally by Jesus Christ, the Son of God. By his stripes, you're healed. By his death, you live. And by his resurrection, you rise into life eternal. So I guess I want to give you the opportunity today on this Easter weekend. Is today the day that you step into victory? Can I tell you something? Everything that needed to be done, Jesus already did. You don't have to do anything. All you, do, all you need to do is accept his free gift. Flogging didn't happen to Jesus. He chose it so you could be healed. The cross didn't happen to Jesus. He chose it so you could live. And Jesus rose so you can rise too. Everything that needed to be done, he already did. And so I wonder where, where you're at today. Are you at a place where there's these soul scars that you're dealing with? You were hurt. And now you move on and you're a hurting person that's hurting other people. And so you're walking through life with this weight of guilt and this weight of shame, I think today is the day to let it go. 
Or maybe for you, you've been dealing with this emptiness inside, this gap. This gap between, I don't know, like a life worth living and where you're at. And no matter how hard you try, you can't get there. Here's what I need you to know. Jesus died your death to close your gap. You don't have to be empty anymore. Or maybe you're just scared. Feel like you look around the world today and it's like you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death. I'm telling you what, Jesus rose so you can too. That bully death, he defeated it. He's with you every step of the way. So I want to give you the chance today. If you've never done it, man, just accept his gift. Accept his victory. His victory that covers yesterday, today, tomorrow, and forever. So if that's you, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray out loud. And wherever you are all over the world, can you just pray right along with me? Let's pray together. Dear Jesus, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you that you were flogged so I can be healed, that you died so that I could live, that you rose so that I can too. I accept your gift. I accept it all. I pray that you would heal my hurts, forgive my sins, and lead me. Give me the strength to live, to really live today, tomorrow, and forever. Thank you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Amen. Hey, if you're on the chat right now, can you congratulate all those people who just made that big staff and throw up a victory sign for them? And if you're one of the people and you just prayed that prayer, can I ask you to do just one favor for me? Just one. Can you text the keyword LIFE? L-I-F-E. I am so stoked for you. So stoked. So just text that keyword LIFE. You can send it to 604-670-3040. You can send it to that message box on southsidelife.com or just put it right there in the chat. We don't want to stalk you, but I'll tell you what, we're going to support you. We want to support you. What an honor that would be. Hey. Happy Easter. For all of us today, I'm going to tell you again. History's finest hour, history's finest hour, happened when your victory was won fully, completely, unequivocally by Jesus Christ at Easter. And this last song that the band's going to play is just a declaration and an amen to that. So why don't you join us? Why don't you stand up and sing real loud for this last song?